From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A physician scientist at Upstate is overseeing a clinical trial of a possible new oral treatment for lupus. Here to talk about that is Dr. Andres Pearl. He's the chief of rheumatology at Upstate and also a professor of microbiology and immunology. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Pearl. Thank you very much for having me. Well, first, for listeners who are not familiar with lupus, uh, this is an autoimmune disease that affects one and a half million people in, in the United States. What else can you tell us about the people it affects and how it's treated? Uh, lupus affects primarily females. Uh, the uh, frequency of lupus is about tenfold greater among females than males. Uh, it correlates with uh, uh, sexual maturity, it usually starts in early teens among females and starts to wane after menopause. Uh, the most affected individuals are women in childbearing age. And uh, childbearing usually also is a trigger of the disease. Usually uh, uh, females during pregnancy get flares of the disease, which indicates that it relates to hormones, particularly estrogen is known as an inducer of lupus. Let me ask you this, does menopause um, improve lupus? The more severe forms of lupus usually subside with menopause. So the severe cases tend to be young females uh, in their teens or 20s. Uh, usually pregnancy brings out severe flares in lupus. And so I've described it as an autoimmune disease. So that is, is your body's immune system malfunctioning, right? Yes, yes. So lupus is a prototypical so-called systemic autoimmune disease, which means that the disease itself, the inflammation that occurs during the disease can involve almost any organ of the body. Most often the skin and the joints are involved. Uh, unknowingly, many patients suffer from kidney involvement as well. Inflammation of the kidney used to be a leading cause of morbidity and mortality. More recently, with the advent of uh, renal transplant, survival is better patients who have kidney involvement. Um, other organs can also be involved, such as the heart, the lung, or the brain, and we don't have really good uh, replacements yet for those organs. Uh, therefore, treatment of disease and primarily prevention of flares is a critical aspect of uh, finding new treatments for this disease. Now, what is a flare? A flare is uh, an increase of disease activity that typically occurs once or twice a year. Uh, people experience increased joint pain, rash, fevers. Sometimes they don't experience a flare. For example, when the kidney gets inflamed, they don't even know about it. And sometimes people present with renal failure and you can only see that the kidneys stop functioning. For this very reason, because flares are sometimes silent, people need to see a rheumatologist or somebody experienced in lupus on a regular basis so flares can be prevented or, or detected early and treated. Uh, therefore, having a rheumatologist uh, diagnose the disease early and monitor the patients frequently is an important part of uh, long-term care. Wow. So you can't really predict 
a, a flare isn't necessarily tied to the temperature outside or the stress level. You, you can't always predict what's uh, happening. UV light is known to be an inducer, ultraviolet light. Uh, so this climate is actually not so bad for lupus uh, in the southern part of the United States, Florida, California, or Texas. Uh, flares are more common in individuals who are susceptible to UV light. Uh, we have a number of laboratory markers that we typically uh, employ to try to predict flares, which includes monitoring protein in the urine and a number of autoantibodies. As you pointed out, this is an autoimmune disease. So we diagnose the disease based on clinical symptoms as well as laboratory tests. We have a number of laboratory tests which indicate lupus, but some of them also indicate a likelihood of flare. And these are the individuals that we pay close attention to. And what we're trying to do with treatments basically is not only control flares, but also to prevent flares. So are there some treatments that are effective that, are, that work for some patients right now? The uh, five to 10 year survival 30 years ago used to be 50%. So 50% of females at this young age died of lupus. The cause of death at that time used to be renal failure. That was the uh, main uh, cause of death, which is no longer the case. Uh, today, the leading cause of death is actually infection. Uh, we are using immunosuppressive medications that suppress the autoimmune response. However, that exposes patients to infections. So most of the uh, immunosuppressive treatments have a broad uh, a level of immunosuppression. So the, the immune system is broadly suppressed so that they are unable to respond to most types of infections. The most uh, recent uh, so-called biological immunosuppressants are a lot more specific and they have a narrower spectrum of immunosuppression, but yet they also predispose to infections. So we are constantly looking for relatively safe medications which uh, target the disease based on so-called biomarkers. These are uh, causally related changes in the immune system that can be targeted safely and uh, are targeting results in disease control or preventing of flares. This is what exactly what we're trying to do with this clinical trial that is, is coming online very soon. So what is this potential new treatment that you're gonna be testing? Uh, so this treatment uh, uses acetylcysteine, which is a modified form of a natural amino acid cysteine Acetylcysteine is more stable and uh, permeable, so one can take it uh, orally. It goes through uh, the cell membranes and gets into the cells of the, uh, of the human body, which uh, have a deficiency of cysteine. Uh, we discovered a number of years ago that glutathione, which is a primary antioxidant, is specifically depleted in certain cells of the immune system in lupus patients called T cells. Not only glutathione, but it's a critical reducing amino acid component called cysteine is also depleted. Uh, and uh, treat, treatment with acetylcysteine, we found during a, a completed clinical trial, can normalize cysteine levels in lupus patients and can normalize glutathione levels. So this is directed to a biomarker which drives the disease and uh, it is a very safe intervention because it uses an amino acid. 
that our body has uh, constantly, so it's not foreign and doesn't uh, cause any immunosuppression. So people are not predisposed to infection. So this is a very safe intervention. And it's something that's already being used for other things, not for lupus, but for other? It, yeah, this amino acid itself is available. It has food stores. The quality of the material is not exactly the same, but very similar. Acetylcysteine is used uh, as an antidote for uh, uh, interventions that cause oxidative stress. It's an antioxidant amino acid. The prime example is Tylenol overdose. Tylenol uh, uh, is, uh, uh, can cause liver damage, and Tylenol induced liver damage is the number one cause of acute liver failure uh, in developed societies. And the antidote for that is acetylcysteine, which is given intravenously at very large doses, and it can save people's lives who, who have a, a deficiency of glutathione or cysteine. It's also used to treat other types of toxicities, such as intravenous uh, contrast dyes that are used as certain imaging procedures. So this is FDA approved for these interventions. Also patients with cystic fibrosis use acetylcysteine in an inhaled form, can be inhaled, vaporized. What we're planning to do here is use a oral formulation, which is currently not available. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with rheumatologist and scientist, Dr. Andres Pearl, about lupus and an exciting new trial that's getting underway soon. I'd like to have you explain how the trial is going to work. It's been described as randomized, double-blind, and placebo-controlled, but what, what does that mean? Uh, this means that uh, this uh, trial will meet the highest uh, regulatory requirements and uh, both safety and uh, scientific uh, uh, rigor in terms of using placebo as a control. So we won't be knowing who is treated with acetylcysteine versus a dummy drug uh, placebo, which is in our case will be a sugar dextrose. Uh, the trial is designed in a way that uh, mimics uh, how patients would actually be treated with these medications. So it's an innovative design which uh, builds on an open-label first phase, uh, which means that everybody would actually get acetylcysteine for three months, and we will be titrating to a dose that's tolerated uh, by the individuals between 2.4 and 4.8 grams per day. These dosages are based on a trial that we previously completed and showed preliminary evidence for efficacy, which is published, uh, which is already published. Uh, patients who tolerate acetylcysteine for three months will be then randomized to continue this intervention for nine more months or switch to placebo. Neither the patients nor the doctors will know whether the patients continue on the medication or not. Uh, another interesting aspect of the design is that patients who uh, flare uh, during the randomization phase can be treated as needed uh, for their own benefit. If patients uh, require uh, treatment outside the trial, they will be considered a failure. The way we uh, judge efficacy is patients will have to improve and they cannot fail the treatment. 
So in, uh, this way, uh, patients are safe to enroll in the trial, and if they fail and they happen to be in the placebo arm, that will increase our ability to discriminate in terms of efficacy. So uh, with this trial design, we can reduce the number of patients needed to uh, show efficacy uh, within one year. So how many patients do you expect to enroll in this? And is it only at Upstate? Uh, so this, uh, this study uh, is powered uh, to show a difference between acetylcysteine and placebo uh, at a relatively narrow uh, rate of efficacy. Uh, to achieve that, we have to enroll, uh, based on our calculation, 230 patients. Uh, the, these patients will be enrolled across the United States. Uh, upstate is, this is the first trial that's organized from upstate ever. And uh, we will have 20 centers participating across the United States. These are all academic medical centers, usually lupus centers, uh, where rheumatologists who uh, treat this disease are very familiar with lupus. So there's a lot of enthusiasm I am hearing. So we're hoping that it will be relatively straightforward to enroll the number of patients needed. I have to also mention that we follow here over 1,000 lupus patients. So we have the ability to enroll most of the patients or at least a large majority of the patients at Upstate. So you'll you'll have you have a pool of patients already with lupus. Are you uh, looking for anyone that doesn't have lupus or is this only for patients who have lupus? It's interesting that you ask this question. Uh, our study will involve so-called biomarkers. Biomarkers are uh, are genetic markers or functional markers that the patient's immune system have, which help us uh, uh, determine uh, who will respond and how N-acetylcysteine works. This is very important to understand how the medication works and predict who will respond. So for example, in the future, uh, uh, following the concept of personalized medicine, if you measure a so-called biomarker, for example, glutathione depletion or cysteine depletion, you know that this particular patient would be suitable for this treatment. So uh, because of the need to measure biomarkers, we will also recruit healthy subjects. And we will be matching healthy subjects for the age, gender, and ethnicity of patients. We have a pool of about 60 subjects at Upstate who participated in various uh, clinical trials as controls. So we're very much hoping that these healthy subjects will participate in this trial as well. And we are also open to uh, receive healthy subject samples from the participating centers. So what is the type of person you're looking for? Is there an age range or? Uh, the age range is 18. Uh, unlimited in terms of uh, the other end of the spectrum. Uh, men and women? Uh, men and women. Uh, there is no restriction of any sort. It has to be 18 or older. Uh, certain uh, treatments are excluded. If uh, patients uh, need life-saving uh, high-dose corticosteroids, for example, because they have brain inflammation or they are in the acute phase of uh, renal inflammation and they need uh, certain very toxic drugs, uh, then uh, they won't be eligible. Uh, they usually use high-dose corticosteroids and a certain dosage is an exclusion criteria. 
And if they receive these medications within a certain period of time, that's also an exclusion criterion. For example, if they had B cell depletion, they use that sometimes to save lives. Uh, those people for at least six months will not be eligible. So we, the eligibility criteria are listed on the FDA website. And it sounds like it's kind of individualized. If someone's interested in this, perhaps they should call uh, 1-315-464-1779 and find out if they qualify. Right, right. So we, we usually do a screening visit and uh, see if they qualify and uh, they need to meet the eligibility criteria. We also have an adjudication committee, which is which I am not part of. Uh, three rheumatologists who will judge independently whether the person is uh, meeting the eligibility criteria. Now, uh, what is the website where people can learn more about this study? Clinicaltrials.gov, that's the website of the Federal uh, Food and Drug Administration or FDA, where the trial is described in full detail. Anybody interested can uh, Google, uh, if you Google uh, lupus, or acetylcysteine, or my name, or Syracuse, uh, the trials for certainly come up on the FDA website. Now, if this trial goes the way you hope, is this a medication or treatment that would reverse lupus or just control the flares? Uh, lupus is a disease that uh, causes damage to various organs, and the damage accumulates over time. The inflammation typically causes scarring. So once the organ scarred and inflammation occurred, uh, usually uh, recovery is not possible to the pre-lupus level. So reversal of the disease is very, very difficult. It depends on the organ that's involved. For example, the liver has a high level of regeneration. So liver damage is potentially reversible. Actually, the liver is also involved in lupus. But kidney damage is typically not reversible because the, the functional units of the kidneys called nephrons usually scar as a result of the inflammation and those uh, functional units are usually lost. So what one can hope is control the disease and prevent flares and further damage. Uh, there, is no, there is no intervention currently that even can be contemplated that would reverse disease at this time. So the best approach is to prevent disease and prevent flares and understand pathogenesis and uh, diagnose and treat as early as possible. Well, this sounds like a promising study. Thank you so much to Dr. Andres Pearl, a professor of microbiology and immunology, and also Upstate's chief of rheumatology. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.